I don't know for sure why he said we don't know anything about the body and he was looking at me. <laughs> Nothing at all. <clears throat> we had a song this morning and I got to take just a moment. <clears throat> Number 214. Now we're not going to sing this. I just want you to... This has got some good words in it. Almost... Well, many of the songs that we sing have something that's a little haywire. But we have to sing them with understanding. <clears throat> but no notice this verse 1. How firm a foundation. Have you got it? You, can you follow? How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith. A firm foundation laid upon which you can base your faith, and where? In His excellent word. How can you beat that? That's the foundation where you premise your faith. In His excellent word, what more can He say? What more can God say than to you, that he hasn't already said. Everything that God can say for you, to you, he has said. And it's recorded. So when you're reading the Bible in his established word, you are, you are reading, when you read with an understanding, all that God knows that you need to know in order to spend forever with him now maybe you don't want to do that and God God has prepared a place to accommodate those folks to accommodate the folks who don't want to be a part of his church don't want to be a part of his ministry part of his purpose who don't really want to have their faith premised upon the word in its entirety. And who can tell me what God has done? What, what do we call that place that God has prepared so that all of those folks can be happy forever too? <laughs> That's your, your house, right? My house? Yeah, isn't that, isn't that where they all go? That's where they all go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a living hell. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, yeah, see, God in his mercy established a hell, a place without God. That's what the word Gehenna means, without God. There is a place where God isn't. So if you really don't care about God or you really don't want to be in cohesion with God, He's got a, prepare, a, a place prepared where you can be that way forever. You can't beat God. He's always done everything right. I, I don't know when people die. I don't know what their destiny is. But I do know one thing. And that is that God always does the right thing. I don't have to make a judgment. I don't have to... I don't have to say that my mommy's in heaven. I don't know. I know that she was a devoted Christian woman. 
She taught us kids to pray. Kneeled down beside us every night at home, along our bed. And uh, we, we had a prayer meeting. I, I know those things, but I don't know her heart. Do you, any of you ever know anybody's really heart, their real heart? Only God knows that. Only the Word knows that. You don't know. But see, we don't have to make those determinations. We don't have to make those judgments. Payson, right? You thought I'd forget your name. I hadn't. It just dawned on me. And I thought I'd better get it out before I forgot it. <laughs> Who's that young lady sitting next to you? Oh, well, that's Betty. My. Did you bring your mule? No. I want to see her mule someday. And I raise mules. That's why I buy these mule eggs over at the pet store. <clears throat> okay. Now we are looking at our second uh, glean, uh, second look at the book of Joel. And uh, we're just going to play it by ear <clears throat> today. Don't know how far we'll go. Is, is that time right today? I, uh, did I see you change the time? He said last week I was way over time, so... <clears throat> <clears throat> because the clock was wrong. We're, we're looking at the, the prophet of Joel. And last week we kind of concentrated on two things. And, and that is that future generations, generations down the line, suffer from today's actions and beliefs. That's one of the themes of the book of Joel in principle. That it only takes one generation to lose being right. Just one generation. One generation of, 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 uh, of the tribe of Judah in Jerusalem. One generation and things go awry. And so it is in our lives. Just one generation. And if we don't do the right things, there's no chance for it to work the way it ought to work. So we have, to, we have to base our decisions and our lives on the standpoint of what do we want the future generations to be. And because they will suffer from today's actions and beliefs. Secondly, last week, we discussed the reason why in so many of the prophets, and probably in all of them, if you aren't, I mean, some of them are hard to de uh, de uh, depict. But um, the main reasons that are predictions in all of the prophets, or most of them, is the predictions of a messianic nature, you know, of something to do with, with the Messiah, something to do with his kingdom. All of those we, we classify under messianic, um, the, the messianic nature of the prophecies or the predictions of the old covenant of the old prophets is to assure those people to remind them and to keep in their mind the uh, fact of their national existence. The central fact of their national existence as a chosen people. It wasn't to be a nation. 
It was to be a process that God used through them as a unique people to do a certain thing, and that was to assure the coming of the predictions, which was the Messiah, and the things that he came to establish as the ongoing of his household and of the kingdom. <clears throat> Those two things are prevalent in all of the prophets. And you have to keep in mind that they're always talking about the future generations suffer from today's actions and beliefs. And folks, we need to take that to heart. Last week we talked, expanded that into today's application. And the second thing is we need to remember that why there were predictions of a messianic nature in all or most of the prophets is to keep before the chosen people the great central fact of their national existence. That's why Israel today is not the covenant people. They are a nation continuing uh, as a result of, of their origin, but not as the covenant people. We are the Israel of God today when we are in a covenant relationship with God. That's what establishes uh, being an Israelite today is not that you're a Jewish, not that you were born in Israel, but that you are a Christian devoted to Christ and have been buried with him in baptism. You become then a part of the Israelite people of God, the faithful people of God. That's what the word means, the faithful people of God. And that's the transition from the Old Testament to the New. So let's go, let's go right ahead now with that summary of last week. Let's go to Joel, and uh, first, first thing we want to take a look at is, uh, what, what do you do when things go bad? You find someone to blame. Oh, I like that. Joel, uh, I mean, Joel, I was talking about Joel. Alex, we're reading from the book of Alex, and, he's, and Joel just quoted. <laughs> uh, you find somebody to blame. And I think here, look at, look at verses 14 and 15, and that's what it says exactly. It says in verse 14 of chapter 1. Now, if you weren't here last week, you didn't have, you know, all of the background that we went into. But we can't do that again today. But verse 14 and verse 15. What do you do when things go bad? <clears throat> is to, oh, the very first thing he says is consecrate blame. Well, I don't like the word fast. So blame is a good alternative, right? Yep. Consecrate, consecrate means to set apart, make something special. Now, when he's talking about fasting, fasting is, a lot of people fast. You can fast for all kinds of reasons. I only fast when I'm sick or sleeping. I'll cut my sleep short. And, and an interesting thing, medically speaking, that I'm going through right now is that I'm, the, I'm far weaker right now today than I was eight weeks ago. <clears throat> they tell me now that that's typical. Well, I didn't know that. They didn't tell me that beforehand, that things would go down for three months or four, and then you, then you can start surviving, but they don't know at this point. But anyway... When they send you home from the hospital, they don't tell you, they tell you this. If you gain two pounds in 24-hour period, that's not because of what you're eating, uh, then 
if you hold that and go up for a week, then you go into urgent care. If you gain five pounds in a one 24-hour period, you head to the emergency room because uh, your pump isn't working, you know, the heart pump, your new implant. So, <clears throat> but they didn't tell you. What do you do? I've lost 10 pounds since I got out of the hospital. Now, they've got a whole new what's wrong. So you never know. You know, you don't know which way to go. And it just keeps going down and down. I'm getting weaker and weaker and weaker. And, and so, uh, <clears throat> not because I'm fasting. But, you know, a lot of people fast for health's sake. Um, fasting is a, the, ther the, the therapeutic value of fasting. It can help people eliminate a lot of problems in their health issues of life. There are books written on therapeutic fasting. People ought to take notice of it if they have a, um, a problem with certain health issues. Read about it. Don't do it without supervision. Uh, people fast bec because they're hungry. That's just not a, really a voluntary fast. They just don't have anything to eat, don't have any money to buy food. But uh, you can lose, um, you know, you can lose weight even if you're fasting. I mean, if you're not fasting. But uh, <clears throat> fasting that he's talking about here, what's the, what's the word that describes it? A consecrated fast. It tells you that this is a fast that you have set aside for a specific purpose. You have made it holy. You have sanctified this fast. The consecrate, sanctify, um, holy, uh, um, the word I can't think of, to consecrate, to sanctify, all are from the same word, same idea. And it means to make it special. So when here he is saying, you need to have a fast because you've got problems and you know what happens when you do that. How many have ever had a consecrated fast? Now don't lie. No one ever has had a consecrated fast. That, that, that's, that's, you know, we had a, a, a whole, we had maybe a thousand folks on a seminar one time. Dan, who was on the program today, was in there um, in Oregon. He was in that unit. And we had a question. Uh, I was conducting it on prayer. We had a question. Uh, how many people preach on prayer? They were, they were all leaders. And everybody raised their hand. How many pray consistently? Scary. Huh? Scary, isn't it? it is scary. How many? Well, then the second question, how many talk about people praying? Yeah. They teach it. They talk about it. How many actually have a dedicated time every day when they pray? Dan knows. Less than 1%. See, it's all talk. It's talk. People don't really do even what they talk about. To consecrate a fast means that you're going to do something with an intended purpose of getting things straightened out. And if, if you do that, you will find that after three days, you will begin to get sorted out your thinking on certain issues of life providing you go into a fast with an objective. If you have no objective, what's, what are you going to get come out of it? 
Not a thing. But if you have an objective, and it's an objective that has a reasonable solution, and you go into a fast, that means having nothing but water. Three days, you're just burning excess. Nothing happens until after three days. But you'll begin to realize that, wow, your thinking becomes immeasurably clear. Your memory is so vivid. And you go into it having worked the problem. Here's the issues. You will invariably, I'm not saying always, but invariably, you will find a solution to your problem. If you go into, can you hear me, Abner? Because I've got a very weak voice today. You wore me out in Sunday school. Oh, you've got these on. Okay. All right. So you, if you have, you know, if you're serious about life and you're serious about your relationship to God and you come into an issue that you just don't know what to do, fasting is one way that you can find a solution many, many times. But you see, the thing is, we don't take God that serious. So Jesus said, not if you fast, he said what? When you fast. And it's just a common thing, a thread throughout all of the New Testament. And we've, I asked you how many people really, how many have had a consecrated fast? Nobody. That's pretty, that's pretty normal, folks. But I'm, I'm telling you, maybe you hadn't thought about it before. But there are times when there are issues in life and by the way, if they're not this important, I wouldn't worry that much about them. But if they're important enough to, to really p need some pondering and some thinking about, you need to have a dedicated fast with a def definition of the problem before you begin the fast and then fast it with a dedication of purpose. Why you are doing this. And you will be surprised after the third day because, see, you're not hungry any longer. You're only hungry for three days. How, you never, anybody ever been hungry for three days? Well, after the third day, you're not hungry any longer. So then your mind becomes perfectly clear. Try it. Okay, so he says, consecrate. If you've got a problem, and he says, you've got a problem... Now, I know a lot of the commentaries on this book, in my opinion, miss the boat. They think he's talking about locusts in verse 4. And so books and books are written on locusts and the habits of locusts. You know, I don't share many of the same habits as the locusts do. Maybe you're not aware of that. But he is telling them, because it's prophetic... He is telling them in symbols. And then notice verse 6. 4, that's talking about locusts. And now he says what the locusts are is a nation. You see that? He's not talking about the little critters that annoy us in Missouri and places. They don't have locusts here, do they? Well, I've been in Missouri where they have swept through the land. And then notice in verse 4. Of the, of the um, chapter 2. Uh, their appearance is like the appearance of horses. Uh, 
Now, you think that locusts, as thick as they're talked about in chapter, in verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 4, uh, really, you know, boy, that's, that's quite a, a swarm. And uh, so here, here their, their appearance is like horses, like war horses. And these are, these, these are these little tiny locusts that you've got in your mind. But he says, I'm talking about a nation. And the last chapter of this book tells us who that nation or who those nations are. There were four of them, Phoenicia, Philistia, Egypt, and Edom. And Obiah, Obadiah is talking about Edom, but Joel is talking about what's going to happen to Judah uh, from Phoenicia, Phil, uh, Philistia, and Egypt, and Edom. So we come back, he's telling them about what's going to happen to them. So here's what you do when you got problems brewing. It's the first generation, folks, and it's already gone to pot. About 2,800 years ago, it's not out of reach. If you live to be 2,800 years old, you will have lived twice the distance from now as it was to when this was taking place. No, we can't all be like me, and that's just how I look and feel. <laughs> all right. So consecrate a fast. Wouldn't that just turn a lot of people off right to begin with? You guys have got a problem. Here's what's going to happen. You people are going to be uh, invaded. There's going to be hardly anything left of your surroundings, of, of your possessions, of the countryside, of your farming. It's all going to be destroyed. Now, what do we do? Well, you could form a committee. Are you, sure it's, are you sure it's not potluck and not fast? Oh, you know, now that might have been a clue. <laughs> Alec, you're going to do something to get this you know, turned around, aren't you? First of all, yeah. So consecrate a fast is what it is. So this makes you're concerned about the condition. You're making it a special event. And do it and proclaim a solemn assembly. It's time to get together with other people who have done the same thing. Have we ever done that? I did this one time, and I'm ashamed that I haven't done it more. I did it one time when we, you know, had a larger body. We had three guys who agreed to do this with me. And we needed each other. It really helps to know that somebody else is watching whether you sneak an orange juice or not. And so we met every day at my home on the Columbia River Gorge. And that was our solemn assembly. It was uh, an assembly simply to sort out some of the issues that we were facing at that time church-wise. And uh, so we, we, that was a proclaimed, a special, solemn assembly. Well, then he goes on and expands it beyond our local application. Gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land. Now it's going to be expanded so that all who are participants can be uh, invited 
and come to the house of the Lord your God. So it's expanded. It may begin small, it begins individually, and then it's expanded. You see, the church is meant to be an assembly. That's what the church means. It's the called out ones. The called out ones come together. And when it's like home, when you, like a family, when you leave home, are you still a member of the family? That doesn't change. And when you leave church, if you're a part of that church and you've been added to the church by God, then when you leave the assembly, are you still a part of the church? Why, of course you are. If you're part of it when you're here, you're a part of it when you're out. So he's talking about these people. It needs to grow into where there are more participants ready and willing to cry out. And that word means to make their appeal to God in a uniform fashion. Have I met anybody mad yet? Okay. I guess it's not time to close. But then he says why. Notice verse 50. We're never going to get through Joel, Greg, if we don't keep going here. Um, <clears throat> but these folks out here are talking today, and I like people talking. Uh, okay, so why? In verse 15, why? Alas for the day. Because the day of the Lord is near. Of course, that means several thousand years away, right? Oh, yeah. No, it means, it means it's going to be real soon. And notice what the day of the Lord is described as being in that verse. And it will come, that day of the Lord won't be the personal appearing of the Lord. And that's what we usually think of when we say that. And it very seldom, if ever, means that, even in the New Testament. It will come as destruction. So they are now to know that when this army comes upon them and destroys them, that it's going to be what? From what we just read. It's going to be they're to see it as the day of the Lord. So why are they to do what they say they're going to do in verse 14 or what they are ordered to do by Joel in verse 14? The reason for them doing that is that the day of the Lord is near. It will come as destruction from the Almighty. And they are doing this so they will understand that and they will understand the destruction. If they can't avoid it, they can at least understand why. That's the problem with a lot of folks. They don't take time to understand why bad things are happening in our country. Why bad things are happening in the world. Why good things are happening in the world. And there are. There's some great things happening. Just like in science. Like, like Dan told us this morning. Uh, there are new discoveries being made. We really don't know much about what really goes on. And um, so, what's that? Why doctors Yes, why they're practicing. Yeah. I hope they do. Okay, so now go to chapter 2 and verse 1. 
So, now he reinforces it, folks. He's told them what to do. You've seen the, poten uh, the potential problem. Here, here's what's going to happen. Now, look at chapter 2, verse 1. Blow a trumpet in Zion. I've got to say this, um, Nolan, just for you. Is he going to be okay? I think so. Yeah? You're okay. He said it's time to quit, Daddy. I wanted to go. <clears throat> anyway, I hate to say this for Nolan and Alex's sake, but blow a trumpet in Zion, and you know, the Lord is, his dwelling place is Zion. By the way, that little guy isn't going to last much longer, so I just soon he died here as anywhere. Yeah. You know, we'll just put him in a, a towel and pack him off. Um, <clears throat> but he's, he doesn't have much time left. I'm going to miss that little guy. He's been a good friend for 12 years, about. So, blow a trumpet. You know, that kind of excludes, that kind of excludes everybody who don't believe in trumpets, right? You know, if they didn't believe in a trumpet... Or having a trumpet played in Zion, and the church is Zion, and they don't have, they don't believe in trumpets being played in Zion. You've got a problem if you're there and the trumpet plays. You've got to get up and leave. And that's what those folks do. You probably don't get the drift, but same same day you will. You can ask. I think they get scared because it usually means kind of alarm. Yes, right. That's, that's true. Usually it's get up and take notice. Okay. And sound and alarm. And that's actually what is, part of what it is, Alex. And sound and alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land. See, he just kind of twisting. Now let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. For the day of the Lord is coming Surely it is near. Doesn't sound like something to look forward to. <laughs> Nothing to look forward to. So sound an alarm. Give people the chance to avert it. But you know, we just let the every there just like letting down. How many of you have ever been on a dairy been on a dairy? You you have bars across your fence where the gate is? And you start taking a bar down. How many bars do you have to get down before the jump cars, uh, the cows jump over and escape? Usually about one. If once they notice that there's a difference in those bars, they can they can clear that thing. They could clear it with all of them on there, but they don't know it. You know, it's kind of like an elephant. You put a, a chain around its foot, drive a six-inch peg in sawdust, and it thinks it's bound for life. And it won't move. But the cows, you start letting down the bars. And pretty soon, the bars just keep going down and down uh, in our thinking. We just keep letting the bars down. And it's hard to get the bars back. We just let them keep going. Everything that goes on in our church and in our world today, somebody's letting down bars. Somebody's allowing it to happen. Somebody allows these things to take place. Folks, it may be by design, it may be by ignorance, but we have to be on guard. Because, as it says to these people who were, who were at the verge of being a destroyed people, and yet God gave them a prophecy to assure them that they won't be, 
He's saying you may suffer consequences now, but remember, there is a prophecy that has to be fulfilled. Here's what I want you to do to stay on top, to be on top and to stay on top. Blow a trumpet in Zion. Sound an alarm on my holy mountain. He's speaking to Judah because that's where Zion was. It was in Jerusalem. That's where, that's where the tribe of Judah was. And Joel is writing to those of Judah. Let all the inhabitants, uh, inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. Surely it is near. We're, he is emphasizing the consequences of earlier decisions. He wants them to get it right, to take the steps by consecrating a fast, proclaiming a solemn assembly, may have a special assembly for dealing with the issue at hand. You know, if the church had done that over every in, everything that had happened to the church in its theology. What did you say this morning about the doctrine of the rapture? That it started when? 1860. 1860. Any of you here alive in 1860? Abner, were you alive in 1860? Not quite. But 1860... How many of you have heard of the doctrine of the rapture? Well, almost everybody has. That's prevalent in theology today. But that idea never came from the Bible. That didn't, you said 1860. 1860 was the first time that that was, what would you say? It was brought out by, it came from America. Somebody in America came up with the idea. And okay. Dan is telling us uh, that that began uh, with an American uh, idea, as an American idea, and then it pervaded the church and Protestantism almost entirely, folks. But there's no Bible basis for it. See, and if those things begin to come into the church, the reason we don't recognize them is that we don't know the specifics. We don't understand the nature of man specifically. So when they come in and saying man is depraved, oh well, we don't know what that means, so we just pretty soon it permeates the church. We don't realize that Jesus, uh, the, the nature of Jesus, and that when he came, he was different than he was with the Father, that he was as one of us. And we have people come in that when he was a little baby in the manger, he was God. That's not found anywhere in the Bible. But the first thing you know, it's infiltrated the church. Why didn't we stop it at the front? We didn't know. Our people are not informed. And you got it. We haven't studied enough. So we don't know the issues. And so we just kind of swallow it. We let one bar at a time. And pretty soon the whole herd is gone. And so is it true with theology. And with the Bible doctrines. We're going to close. Like you said about Joel. About that it only takes one generation to get it going on the wrong track. That's the permeating view of the book of Joel. It only takes one generation, one generation, one generation, you can lose it all. So like last week, Alex, we emphasized the need of every parent 
making sure that the next generation, you know, their children really know the specifics. Because if all you know are the generalities, you can just be sucked into anything. The book of Joel is a tremendous warning to get us back on track and to keep us on track to keep this generation going the right way. And we may not be there, but to keep it on the right track of going the right way and keep it that way through the next generation as well. All right, let's sing our closing song. Uh, <clears throat>